0: Good morning, everyone. I'm starting a little softer than normal because I, I uh, my sense is that we're in the presence of God in a magnificent way uh, today. The the music, um, always wonderful. The use of the strings this morning to do contemporary music was astounding, wasn't it? And uh, incidentally, Amy wrote all those parts. Every little note they were playing was shaped by one of our musicians Uh, and and then the testimonies of the baptisms Um, Chris Rogers you you heard I mean God's all over this guy and so um, I just want to say for any of you that are visiting welcome and some of us would say we could we could cut the holiness with a knife right now it's that strong amidst us and we need this don't we Um, Remember last week when we were talking about the five great traits of the New Testament church, and one of those is awe-inspiring worship and prayer that just ushers us in community to God. So, hallelujah, Lord! Yeah, whoa! Yeah, it was that Holy Word we came. Whoa! Yeah. So, well, welcome to church. Glad to have you here. And if you are visiting, uh, glad to have you here, even if you don't believe yet. Uh, you're welcome, you belong, even if you're yet to believe in Jesus Christ. Everything in us wants you to, but welcome. All right, here we go. We are in the book of Acts, and in the book of Acts, uh, which is usually called the Acts of the Apostles, uh, there are those that say it's truly more appropriate to title it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. 58 times in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. And Dr. John R. W. Stott says it ought to be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And and you'll see that lived out. Now, before I get into our text in Acts 8, I I need to do a little theology with us here of review and about the power of God. So look at the screen with me now and look at this first verse. Jesus says in chapter 1, verse 5, Pastor Rob dealt with this a couple weeks ago. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. A gift is coming. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the what? The Holy Spirit. Okay, now keep that in your mind, and now add to it what you just saw. As the camera zoned in and you saw these, this precious little girl and boy and this great man dropped into the water. And they immersed, didn't they? They were totally covered. That's what baptize means. It means to totally cover. And there's that sense where Jesus is saying here, don't do anything, church, until you get immersed in me. It's a beautiful portrait. So, the first aspect of the Spirit's work in us is to enter us and take up residency in us, God the Spirit. Here's the second thing. Look at the next verse. Verse 8, just three verses down. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and yes, to the ends of the very earth. Now camp with me, if you will, on that one, two, three, four, fifth word in the line, power. Jesus first said, wait until the Spirit immerses you in God. And now Jesus is saying, and when it happens, there is power that comes with it. That's interesting, isn't it? When the Spirit came to me, I was given a new power. You say, well, what does that mean? It means this. First of all, it's just like Chris Rogers said. He doesn't even think about the same things he used to think about. There's a wholeness starting to take shape in his soul. There's a, there's a starting to get rid of the self-centeredness. That's power. If, if, if an idea has the kind of power that it can change your life. That's true power. And Jesus is saying, when you're immersed in God, you will start to look like God. Power. And the second thing, we're not only given a new character, but we start receiving these specialized capacities by which we are able to display and speak God's word wherever we go. They're called spiritual gifts. Everyone who knows Jesus has at least one of them, a special gift that has been given you to accelerate you giving the God life away to others. Jesus says, immerse in God and then expect power. Okay, Hold on to that power now. I'm going to a different aspect about it. Let's go to the next verse. The Apostle Paul will write this. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the there it is power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Power of God. We were just talking about the power that happens when the Spirit takes up residency in us. But this is talking about God's power in another venue. It's attached to the gospel. And the gospel is the idea, God's big idea. The idea that humans cannot make it alone, that the world is going to hell in a handbasket and has a desperate need for God, and so God cared enough to come himself and become human and take on the sins of the whole world upon himself and then rise from the dead in an empty tomb So that he could be with us to turn everything that's in us and in his world wrong and start moving it toward his vast rightness. That's the idea. Now, here's what I really want to get at. It says that the idea is powerful. Look at this next verse. I got one more. For the message of the cross, which is the center of the gospel, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The power of the Spirit comes in us when we are saved because the Spirit comes in us. And we become new creatures with new powers. The power of God is also resonant upon his grand idea. That's number two. Comparison. Uh, This week, we start voting for who will be president in the next year. Every one of those men and women who stand there has good ideas. Some of them have great ideas. I don't think there's a single one of them that's there just for themselves. They really believe that their ideas can change America for the good. Now, I've been around long enough to know that whichever one of them comes out at the end and becomes our president, they'll be lucky if even 1% of one of their ideas happens. And that's not to condemn them. They're dreamers like the rest of us. They really do want the best. The problem is there's no power that makes the idea happen. The gospel is the greatest idea and it's imbued with power. It turns men like Chris, Chris Rogers, into Captain Rogers, okay? (laughs) Did you think of that, too? I did, too. In fact, this afternoon, I'm going to say, Captain America, are you willing to take, you know? Do you see where I'm going with this? This power thing in the spirit and this power thing on his word, his message, are crucial to us understanding what happens in Acts and apply it so that the acts of the Holy Spirit go on in the year 2016 and on. Okay? That's where we're going. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Let's take this power thing, which is a holy, holy aspect of God himself and what he gives to us, and let's watch now what happens in his people called the church. We pick up from where we left off uh, last week. We're in Acts chapter 8, and I start in verse 1. And Saul approved of their killing him. Back to that in a minute. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned him deeply. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. All right. We're gonna pick up this whole issue of the scattering first, and then I'll unwind everything else that's in the, those gigantic four verses for us. Notice at the end of verse 1, it says, all except the apostles were scattered through where, everybody? Judea and Samaria. Ah. Didn't we just read that in Acts 1:8? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Here it goes. Now it starts. Now it begins. The word that the Holy Spirit chose for Luke to place there is the word scattered. You see it in verse 1, and you see it again in verse 4, scattered. It's a great word. It's the word from once we get in the English, the diaspora, the dispersing of peoples. Right now in our world, we estimate there are over 250 million dispersed peoples who aren't in their own countries. Lots of reasons why they leave. Sometimes it's tragic. They have to leave for their lives. Other times it's for better opportunity, join families, etc. But one of the largest unreached people group in the world are the dispersed peoples of the world. All right. The word is attached here with another notion, however. Oh, but let me finish on this. Okay, it's a good word. Uh, It's the same word they use in the agricultural analogies in the Bible where it says the seed is scattered. And the seed being scattered is a great thing, isn't it? The great idea, the gospel, will be scattered all over the place. And that's the word we've got here in the language, all right? So it's a really wonderful thing. When we are dispersed, we scatter the seed. That's why some of you are are prayerfully considering whether God's calling you to be part of one of our first new campuses. We need to go farther away where people won't drive all the way here and we need to scatter in order to get the seed of the gospel into those places. And some of you will even sense that God is calling you, nudging you to lead the comfort of these beautiful golden seats. And sit on a folding steel metal chair if that's what it takes to get the gospel to people. Okay? Scattered. Great thing. But it's attached to this notion of persecution. And I'm not going to deal much with it here, but I'm just going to touch it a little bit. On that day, in the middle of verse 1, a great persecution broke out against the church. It had started when they killed Stephen for preaching the gospel. And now it begins to spread throughout the church. Now that's not happening too much in our world here. I I was trying to think, Lon, when were you last persecuted? And, you know, I I shouldn't even use the word for this. But occasionally when I ask an attendant at a restaurant or something whether there's anything I can pray for them about, they'll say no. And I go, oh, God. I might not live through this. You know, it, no, but, but it's just a sense of, yeah, okay, get it. But we have brothers and sisters that are fleeing for their lives, who are preaching Christ in the midst of all sorts of travail, no matter what, and are living it. Well, our brothers and sisters from Iraq, our brothers and sisters in Iran, our brothers and sisters in Syria, uh, in Judea, Uh, in the holy lands they're under great persecution now here's what we think about that watch this now oh that's too bad I wish they didn't have to suffer don't you I do I wish they didn't but a whole lot of our best thinkers and servants who are persecuted actually become grateful for persecution one of those is a guy by the name of Ajit Fernando. In fact, I was reading his... He's one of the best biblical theologians we've got in evangelicalism. He's from Sri Lanka, where the Buddhist majority is constantly persecuting, even to the point of death, Christian believers. And in reading him, in, in, in the stuff he's been writing about, he talks about this thing called persecution, and he wants us to understand that while we... Our, our response to persecution is sadness. Wish it didn't have to happen. He understands that in God's economy, persecution does something we can't imagine. In fact, he wrote this. This is his quote. Evangelism provokes persecution. Persecution energizes evangelism. When the church suffers for its faith, revival breaks loose. Fire, like throwing sticks on a fire. Suddenly the gospel gets stronger and people get bolder and more miracles happen. It's it's a part, if you will, of God's mammoth idea of getting his gospel out there. Well, that's them, that's many of our brothers and sisters today. The scattering doesn't always bring persecution, but when it does, God is glorified even through that. Okay? All right. Now, now what I want to do is spend the rest of the time looking at three individuals that get caught up in this Holy Spirit revival which takes place in Acts chapter 8. Okay? So, you're with me again. We're still in the first four verses. The first person that needs to be looked at is a guy named Saul. Saul approved of the killing of Stephen. And then in verse 3, Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Chapter 9, over one chapter, verse 1. Chapter 9 and 1, Saul was still breathing murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. All right, you're going to learn a lot more about Saul in our studies in the the book of Acts. So I'm not going to do much with him today except make this point. He is the worst of the worst against Christianity. He is trying to destroy Christianity. He stood at the feet of Stephen when he was killed He approved of the killing. He goes house to house. And when it says he begins to destroy the church, the the force of that word destroy in, in in the original language is he tears it apart as if a lion is ripping its prey. That's the word, destroys. Everything in him wants to stop this lie, this sect against holy Judaism. He breathes murderous, Threats against people. He is a jihadi John, okay? And he's powerful. He's powerful of mind. He's powerful of passion. And he's got the authority of the religious leaders on his side. He's got power, power, power. But the power of the living God will break him in one single moment. On the road to Damascus, he who is going to destroy, suddenly a vision of Jesus Christ affronts him. Light shines. He goes blind. And the point is, there is no power on earth that can stop God when God chooses to act. And we especially think that of our loved ones. I bet on your prayer list, you've got some people that are that that have kind of wandered down toward the end because you've been praying so long and so hard and they'll probably never come. Don't you believe it? You keep praying and you remember that in a moment, God breaks into Paul's life, Saul's life, and breaks Saul. Incidentally, coming to Jesus Christ means you get broken. Did you hear, Chris? Realizing his selfishness and all of that, that happens. I love this. He who seeks to destroy the church will not only be saved, but he will become the leading person to declare the power of the gospel throughout the whole world. Remember, remember, remember. Okay? Now, let's look at the second person because he's really fun. His name is Philip. And you're going to see him starting in verse 4. Incidentally, Philip is Lon's hero of the New Testament. And someday maybe I can just take sit with some of you or something and talk to you about how he has molded my life as I've studied his. But here he starts. Those who had been scattered, verse 4, preached the word wherever they went, verse 5. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip, and saw the signs he performed. They all played, paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And then the, the great verse 8. So there was great joy in that city. When I talk to you about Saul, I sought to portray the point that the gospel the power of the gospel, gospel power transforms a person. Here, gospel power transforms a whole city. And it's not just any city. It's the Samaritans. Now, a word about the Samaritans. It was a woman sitting next to a well with Jesus Christ who looks up into the eyes of Jesus and, and, and basically can't understand why Jesus would ever talk to her. And it it isn't only because she's ashamed of her life. He's a Jew. There are Samaritans. And as Luke tells us, Jews and Samaritans do not relate to each other. The Samaritans. If you have Jerusalem here, and about 70 miles north, you have the Sea of Galilee. Smack dab in that middle area are the Samaritans. They are, or they were, full-blooded Jews at one time. And they worship the God Jehovah. But in about 721 B.C., when invading civilization started coming in to Israel, taking over parts of it, the ten tribes to the north were subsumed under Assyria. And Assyria sent some of its brightest and best to live in those places and mix with those people and marry those women and those men and mix the blood of full-blooded Jews with pagans. But some in the south in Judah stayed pure. The war now is between the purebloods and the half-breeds. Boy, they don't like each other. Not only that, the Samaritans had the gall to build a temple of their own on their own mountain in Samaria. Now, yes, it was worshiping the Lord God Jehovah, but the, the, the temple's in Jerusalem where the pure bloods are. That's just a little bit. It's so half-blooded, half-religious, and they basically don't like each other. The apostle John, uh, at one point, when Jesus was in Samaria and a a village wouldn't receive him and serve him, uh, John, in his great love for people, said, Lord, just give me and James the word. We'll call fire out of heaven and wipe these people out. Let's get it done. So no love lost. All right, here's the point. Where did Philip go? To the despised, to the least honored, to the lowest of the lows, the Samaritans. That's where he goes. Now, folks, the gospel of Jesus Christ born on the Holy Spirit that dwells in God's people the first place they go in the dispersion is to the lowest of the lows as they perceived it. That's because the gospel of Christ breaks down every dividing wall of race, ethnicity, gender, class, generation. It's all God. We were all created by God. So Philip goes there. In and he's kind of an unknown guy. I mean, you've got a a barely known person. This is not Philip the Apostle. This is Philip who's a Hellenist, a Greek-speaking Jew. He's not one of the chosen ones. He didn't graduate from Wheaton or Harvard. And yet God uses him and takes him there. And all revival breaks loose. He's proclaiming the Messiah. Verse 5, they pay close attention to him. The Holy Spirit is empowering the gospel. And they're being drawn to Christ. Power is being poured out. Healings are taking place. Demonism is being destroyed. And there is great, great joy in that city. The the gospel was doing just what Jesus said it would do through spirit-filled people. It would start changing everything. The gospel transforms a city. That's pretty cool. All right, not done yet. Got to keep going. Now, this is so interesting. Forgive me, I don't have time to deal with verses 9 through 25. Someday we'll come back to those. But jump with me now over to number 26. And Philip is still our main character. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he meets an Ethiopian eunuch. Stop right there. Okay. Get this Philip is leading one of the fastest growing churches in the world. There aren't many churches yet, but he's got one going. The whole city's coming to faith. Okay. They're all good. Everything's popping. And now God says, Philip, Would you leave it all, please? And just head south, about 50 miles south on the Gaza Road. Just start heading toward Gaza. So he starts heading south toward Gaza. He's going into the deep desert. He's leaving all that is going on. Just because God nudged him. The nudge of God is sometimes a surprising nudge. I was trying to approximate, what would this be like for me? So here it is. So imagine if the Spirit nudged Lon and Marie Allison and said to us, I want you guys to leave Wheaton Bible Church. I want you to leave the place where people are coming to faith almost every day. I want you to leave the place where string quartets play contemporary music. I want you to leave the place of the golden seats. I want you to leave the place where where a church that pours about a million dollars into West Chicago and all the social needs that are going on. It's it's time to go. Where would thou take us, Lord? And this is is, uh, Gaza to me. This is what it would be. I'd kind of like you guys to go uh, south and west into the far regions of Kansas. And there, there's no street sign, but I've got a little bitty clapboard church down two sections outside the small town on a dirt road. And I've got 12 people there. And the youngest just turned 100. And the Spirit says, and we, meaning God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, we'd just be delighted if you and Marie would serve the rest of your lives. Right. We don't get any sense that Philip questions for a moment. He's got revival breaking loose in Samaria, and God says, leave. And so he does. He's nudged And he goes, God, where would you have us go? So he starts on his way, verse 27. He meets an Ethiopian eunuch who is an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Okay, the spirit then nudges Philip again go to that chariot and stay near it now how they even met at this precise moment on this road and the retinue of chariots because this guy's the treasure of a whole nation this is this is the aristocracy now he goes from the samaritans to the aristocracy and and he's just walking you know and and the same place and he see, he probably sees the, the dust on the roads first as as this Chariot retinue is moving through. And God says, Go over to that place and stand by it. And then it says, And so he ran to the chariot. Okay, I know that's stupid. But he runs to the chariot, and the chariot is on fire. Not literally. But it's on fire with God's presence. This Ethiopian, who comes from a nation of many gods, travels 500 miles to Jerusalem... For the express purpose of learning about the one God and trying to understand, his heart longs for God. And on the way back, he's been given a text of a prophet 700 years before the time of Christ that's going to help him understand it better. Everything in this guy was seeking God. This chariot's on fire. And God says, Philip, Run the anchor leg, buddy. Get over there. (laughs) He runs up. This is so cool. He runs up to the chariot, and he hears the guy reading from Isaiah. How many chapters are there in Isaiah? 66. He just happens to be reading the 53rd chapter, verses 7 and 8, which say this. Look at verse 32. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Philip says to him, incidentally, great witness always asks questions before it makes statements. He says, Do you understand what you're reading? And the guy goes, no, how can I? Is, is, this talking, is he talking about himself? Is he talking about something else? And then verse 35, what a great verse. Then beginning with that passage of scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus Christ, who truly was the lamb led to the slaughter. And life opens up for him. It's Chris Rogers and the Bible suddenly comes alive and everything in it is pointing toward Jesus and pointing to, towards what's wrong in him. And this man is soundly and roundly converted by this great guy named Philip who will go anywhere, anytime God tells him to for anything. He believes, verse 36 says, they travel along, there's some water And the eunuch said, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? He gave orders to the chariots to stop. Philip took him down to the water. Just like what we had. I baptize you in the name of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Be immersed in God. Then the Spirit literally zips Philip away, which is a whole nother story. But I end with this guy. Nobody knows for sure because it's not in the biblical canon. But tradition tells us that this Ethiopian aristocratic had come to know Jesus Christ. And he begins to witness to his nation. And if you go to Africa today and you're with any of the educated Christians and and you come in as an American, they will say, welcome, youngster. Because they know that the gospel was first spread to the African continent through the meeting of one guy named Philip and one Ethiopian eunuch 2,000 years ago. When you hear the leaders in Africa speak, They speak as if he was the apostle to a continent. If you go to Africa today, there's no place on the planet where Christianity is spreading more. Wow. The gospel of power transforms a person, Saul. The gospel of power transforms a city, Samaria. The gospel of power starts to transform a whole continent. That's why I wanted to talk about power today. It works. Christianity is an idea that works. Say, that story of uh, Philip and the Ethiopian, that was kind of fun. We could actually take an hour and just look at the evangelism principles that come out of it, but let me just give you these five. You want to write these down, maybe. These are so interesting. Number one, as we look at Philip in the Ethiopian, we realize that God is the main witness and God's already there. Right? He'd gone all the way to Jerusalem seeking God. He was now coming all the way back. He's trying to decipher Isaiah. This guy is being drawn by God. Okay? Remember that as you witness to people. God's already there. Number two, God uses no names. He uses regular people. Philip was not a superstar. And look how God uses him. If you look back when the church first goes out in that fourth uh, verse there, it says, those who had been scattered preached uh, and the, uh, the word wherever, you know what their names are? Their names are they. We don't know any of their names except Philip. But they all went out. God uses regular people evidently quite well. Third, God nudges us at times to witness. How many of you have ever had a nudge from God? I'm not asking you to get up and share it, but you have. How many of you disobey the nudge sometimes? Me too, with you in that, okay? Um, but the closer we draw to Jesus, the more his spirit empowers us, the more we'll hear the nudges and have the courage to follow the nudges. Uh, two nights ago, I was uh, at dinner in California and it was a busy Applebee's and the waitress was scurrying about doing a great job for us and about 50 other tables, I think. And so she brought our food to set it down and I got the nudge. Lon, ask her if you can pray for her. No, Lord, she's too busy uh, and she's, she's got long hair and, and she looks like a former hippie to me. I don't think this will work. I was one of those. I know who they are. You know, but we just did it, and I think her name was Stephanie. I'm, I still can barely see her name tag. And I just said something just so simple. I said, "We're just about to pray and thank God for the food and all He gives us." Is there anything we can pray for you about in your life? And she's carrying stuff, you know. And, I, and she puts and she goes, oh. it, "There was this." pregnant pause and I go oh no I've offended her she's going to say no uh, <laughs> pregnant pause she puts stuff down and she goes yes and her eyes opened as big as silver dollars and she shared with my friend and I what was going on in her life and if we would pray for her that would just be wonderful and we did pray for her and she called me honey when I left <laughs> the nudges of God some of you know them well God help us obey fourth God brings people to himself just a step at a time. Every little movement is a God movement. Rejoice in it. It took Saul a long time before the Damascus Road got him. It took the Ethiopian 500 miles up and 500 miles back before he runs into Philip. But all those things that happened were steps along the way. Finally, number five. The cross of Jesus Christ our Lord is the center of it all. God is calling you and me to disperse. He's calling us to sacrifice by dispersing. But it's nothing compared to his sacrifice for the whole world. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who died at Calvary, who died for you and me, risen from the dead, sender of the Spirit, with us always until the end of time. Pray with me now. And so, Father, I come to you asking that you would do in us what we can't do in ourselves. May your Spirit fill us with the power to be what you want us to be. And Lord would you give us courage. In your gospel. What you have said has power to change. People. Of power. Carrying a gospel. Of power. Dispersed to the world. Speak to my brothers and sisters now. Whatever you're asking of them. Amen and amen.